the truth. Bingo! You are now listening to the facts. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Straight Facts, the sports show that educates and entertains. We're here with my right-hand man, Jake Galley. In front of me, stat Matt, crunching numbers. And, of course, we have the lovely Joel Schmitz, who will join us a little bit later. But, guys, how are we doing today? First of all, you guys both look dapper. You're wearing the college shirts. I missed the college shirt memo. Not sure if, you know, miscommunication happened. But, you know, if we're going to look dapper, like, you, you can let me it's know. It's okay. It's Champions League soccer. So you're wearing the so- a soccer jersey. It's Argentina, right? Right, but the, you know, Argentina is not in the champion. Do they play? I mean, do they have players who are right? Messi. There you go. Who, there you I go. Mean, had a uh, mediocre game. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing good. You doing good? I'm doing good. High energy. High energy. Love it. Love it. Ready game. to go. Love it. Did we watch XFL this past weekend? It's the first weekend I watched XFL games, and I was actually like pretty. Pleased. I did not. It's dipped. It's dipped hard. The pat, the pat, like week over week. Really? I mean, they're still doing like multi-million views, but like, Pipes I don't know. Away? that and i don't know what they need to be like profitable so really i don't know it's good like in their terms but i know that the number has gone down week over week which is not good no but when you have a newer product it's always it's highest viewed in the first weekend and then you know you you lose the hype bulls after that Uh, so can you name three players from the entire league no uh non-quarterback non-quarterback nope nope. quarterbacks i could have non-quarterback no right can you no, that's my point. I cannot. Um, maybe like Marquette King. No, I don't think I could. I don't think I could. I know Marquette King, Marquette King, excuse me, as he now is called. It's Marquette uh, King. I'm sorry. I'm just telling you, he was on the show. He was saying that it was Marquette. Can you name three people in the XFL? I have not watched more than seven live snaps of the XFL. I watched a little of the St. It's Louis game. It's like a game. really particular number. Like I was going to say zero, and then I remembered I watched like ten minutes. No, there you go. So um, I think Devontae Bosby's in the league. It was a really oh, horrible former, Eagles yeah. former Eagles defensive corner. back. I saw Eli Rogers. Eli is, Rogers wasn't. That's the game I was watching. Yeah, and then Rogers. I guess Mar- Marquette King. So that, that is three. We've I done it. I was watching the Boston. game that um, I don't even know the team's names yet, but whoever uh, I saw the I'm um, not Dwayne Haskins. Wow, Cardell Jones. You know, throw up a terrible, like a terrible game. Foreshadowing. <laughs> is, that, is that where Dwayne is destined for? <laughs> It might be. But let's talk about something that people are actually watching, some college basketball. So this past week, I'm sure everyone's heard about, unless you live under a rock, Sabrina Ionescu of Oregon's women's basketball became the first ever NCAA basketball player, men or women's, to achieve 2,000 career points, 1,000 career rebounds, and 1,000 career assists. So I will ask you guys this. If she's not the you know the greatest college basketball player of all time, men or women's, how does she stack up? Where Where is she on that list? Is she the greatest ever? I mean, she's been incredibly consistent. You don't get to 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, 1,000 assists without being consistent, without being a great player. Oregon's been a great team. Um, Longevity's got a lot to do with it, too. I think some of the quote-unquote best college basketball players may not have had the chance to get to there because in the modern era, if you're that good, you're going to be there for Right, that's the thing. And that's why when you look into the women's game, and we'll talk a little bit more about another woman who could possibly be in the running for this, but like, there's not as big of an incentive because it's not a huge – I mean, they're not getting paid anything as college athletes, but the WNBA isn't offering them multi-million dollars to where it's worth foregoing your college education. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times so you will they, see – They can market themselves better for the future if they have long college basketball careers. Yeah. Right, exactly. Because so more like, people watch 
the women's college national championship game than the WNBA playoffs. <laughs> that's a, that's a that's a nice little nugget there from Stat Matt. But before we get into, I just wanna just wanna point out, and James, you and I talk about this all the time. The Wilt Chamberlain aspect of any of basketball conversation. We cannot have him in this argument because if he is, it shuts down the argument. Right. So he both years he played at Kansas, he had over twenty nine points. Over 17 rebounds. He actually shot 63% his one year at Kansas from the free throw line, which I'm pretty sure would be a career high. We can look that up. But when someone is that dominant, like really if you want to open that door, there's no shutting it. Yeah. Like like once you bring Wilt into the conversation as you someone that you're it's not considering. Fun, it's not fun to have an argument anymore. The argument's done. Right. So he's too much of an outlier. And I would love to call Wilt the best player of all time. But because he was only in for two years – because he is su- such an outlier, I think we have to push that aside for right now. Mm-hmm. I-, I do think there is credence to him. You never know. won a title. I, I, my problem with Sabrina is that you, if she could win it this year. I think to be the greatest in any sport, you have to be crowned the champion at least once. And I'm That's not the bi- I'm not the biggest rings guy. Everyone knows with my Manning Brady takes. Yeah, but I, you need some. You need, you need some. One. You no, need. No, a, I think you can't you need be one. in a goat conversation if you don't have one. I'm exactly with you. Which you know we might want to cherish this moment, Matt, because there's not many times <laughs> we see exactly eye to eye. But I'm with you that rings aren't end all be all. Just because you have more rings doesn't make you better than someone. But you can't call yourself the greatest if you don't have a championship. If you never reach the top of the mountain that's fair and a lot of the players that will be talked so for instance like i would argue zion as an individual player is maybe one of the greatest college athletes that we've seen however he was only there for one year and he didn't win a championship so you could throw anthony davis though you definitely could throw anthony davis. you're gonna go one year you definitely could throw if, right. anthony, if we had if Kentucky had four years of Anthony Davis, he'd be the top of this list. Like, no doubt in my mind. They had four years of Anthony Davis, sort of Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that list before. (laughs) Stop it. It's really crazy. But I think... I mean, I I don't want to stray too far away from giving Sabrina her props. Right, yeah. Because what she has done in her... You know, four years now at, at Oregon is is made Oregon put her on the map for women's college basketball absolutely, completely. Absolutely, took Oregon from just a women's college basketball team to a nationally recognized not not just team but entity. I mean, and exciting, ex- exciting to watch. She does more. Like the reason why I want her on this list, why I want to give her that recognition is she's the only one to do all three of those things. There are people who have more than 2,000 points or people who have more than 1,000 rebounds or people who have more than 1,000 assists. There's no one who's done all three of those things to impact a basketball game that consistently, that greatly for four years is, is tremendous. Like, to get that kind of output is absolutely tremendous. And she hangs her hat on doing everything well, not just scoring well and I'll throw in some rebounds, I'll throw in some, some assists, or not just I'm just here for rebounds, I'm just here to pass the ball. Like, she made sure that she was upper echelon in – in all three of those categories, which has made her just one of the most valuable basket, you know, college basketball players of all time, men or women. Like that, just to me, that's just where it is. Right. Her her ability to be so well rounded and just so dominant. Like I mean, she has. When you look at her lines, like up and down her stat boxes, it looks like a Russell Westbrook, like LeBron James. Like when you, like that's the type of player that she is. Where all around on the basketball court, she's dominating. But I don't know, as you guys have pointed out, if she can really hold the title as the best college basketball player ever. Not to say that a woman can't, because she is the first D1 
uh, basketball player to reach this feat, correct? 2000, 1000, 1000. She's the first, yeah, not not just I don't you not just female, right. first Right, NCAA just D one yep. NBA or D one basketball. Mind you, this includes Michael Jordan <laughs> <laughs> and and the aforementioned Wilt Chamberlain as well. So they didn't keep track of assists yeah. back then. Yeah, they didn't keep track of a bunch of things. Blocks as well. I'd imagine if you if you looked at some of Wilt's block numbers, that might even push him further into the outlier category. But who are some other people that you guys think could be in contention? My pick's Bill Walton. I think he's one of the bigger basketball tragedies that we don't talk about a lot because he is a Hall of Famer. He did win a title with Portland and won as a bench player for the Celtics. But he really could have been one of the best 10 players ever. And his college career shows that. He went 86-4 and at UCLA, made the Final Four three times, won two national titles. He had a national title game performance in 73 where he went 21 of 22 for 44 points and 13 boards. Let me just, let's just stop right there. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Imagine watching that. Imagine watching a, a college basketball player go 21 of 22 for 44 13 in a national title game. Like, if that happened today, oh, oh my God, imagine if that happened today. And I'm assuming, like, pretty much all of them are within, like, 10 feet of the basket. It's just like he gets the ball near the painted area, and you might as well just blow the whistle and move down the other way because I mean, it's going in the net. It's, it's going in the net. And he, he played three years of college basketball because he weren't allowed to play as a freshman back then. He won the National Player of the Year all three times. He was part of the longest win streak in college men's college basketball history with 88 wins. And uh, he, his first career, averaged 20.3 points, 15.7 boards, 5.5 assists. That's only from his senior year, the assists, because they didn't track it before. And on 65.1% shooting. That's a, that's an illustrious career right there. That's a very strong case. That's a very strong case. And I, I think that, Matt, you hit the nail on the head with, like, the tragedy of basketball, him not being healthy his entire career, which is very on-brand for Portland, may I say. But it, it, it really takes away from, like, so, for instance, like, when you look down the list of point leaders for college basketball, you'll see names Freeman Williams, number two. I, I've, I've never heard of that name. Lionel Simmons, number four from LaSalle. That's not a name I've ever heard. So, like, granted, he is still a Hall of Famer in the NBA, correct? But, like, he would be viewed as an all-time great, and maybe that helps his case as well in college basketball as someone who is immediately brought up in this conversation, which I don't know that he should be, but I don't know if he necessarily always is when people have this conversation. He doesn't, and a little bit of recency bias comes into it, I think. Like, we, we, you know, a lot of people on that we have on this list and that you get in discussions for are really, like, 90s and above that you start talking about this list, forgetting that great feats happened in the 60s and 70s and early 80s as well, but you start getting into what happened lately, Who who's done it, you know, you know closer to today. Um a lot of it, I think people put the recency bias on the evolution of the game of basketball. That It might be, quote-unquote, more impressive to do it in the modern era than it was to do it back then. Although, scoring, you know, 44 points and 13 rebounds in an era with no three-point line, like, is, like, that's incredible to me. It's hard to do. Like, that's that's definitely incredible. Um, he only had one year where he was had a better record of, he went 14 and 12, 13 and 13 and 22 and 10 in his three years. To be fair, the year before they went three and 23. That's just more about his dad as a coach than about him. Yeah. <laughs> but sad, sad wounds. 
But yeah, like he has a similar problem to Sabrina with no postseason success. Yeah, and, and well, Sabrina has postseason success, but just no, just no, no, no title. I mean, and like let's let's remember, for the past three years, who has Sabrina had to really deal with in women's college basketball? The one of the greatest dynasties of, of any sport ever in the UConn's women's. Um, the Muffet McGraw Notre Dame teams who took out UConn. Shout out Westchester grad Gino Ariana. Shout out Westchester grad Gino Ariana. Go Rams. You don't He's from that. Westchester? All four yeah. years, baby. <laughs> what? You didn't know that? I had no clue he was from Westchester. Or he went to Westchester. Tidbit, getting off track. My freshman and sophomore year, Westchester's women's would be UConn's cupcake game in the beginning of the year. We travel to Connecticut to get absolutely ransacked. Get ransacked. A little bit of money. Ramsack, there you go. A little, get a little bit of money just to have a long. I had an experience for those girls. Like we played against UConn. UConn. I I remember being in like the recording studio one day and be like, oh my god, a women's team is playing UConn right now, and checking on the live score, and it was like one fifty five to like fifty, and I was like, oh, like, (laughs) oh, Brianna's doing at like forty five, like, oh. Yeah, uh, my school's women's team was also UNC's cupcake game, except it was a conference game, and we played them twice a year, every year. So uh, that's kind of how it goes for UConn in the American. Not really sure why they're in the American, but because our men's team is in the American. I guess so. But you got to figure something out. It is, it is. <laughs> let me tell you what. It is mismatch when it comes to conference play for the UConn women's. Beating up on you. Speaking of UConn women's, that's that's a, another player that I think can go into the greatest college basketball uh, athletes of all time. Is let's not forget about Diana Taurasi. Like that's the actual like women's basketball goat. That, thank you. Like that to her me, or um, Cheryl Miller. Cheryl, her Cheryl Miller. A couple of Lisa Leslie probably can go up there. But Diana Taurasi is when I started paying attention to women's college basketball. Like, that's, that was who, to me, put women's college basketball on the map. You remember when Diana Taurasi was coming up. Was, remember when Diana Taurasi and Emeka Okafor were both leading UConn to national championships? Like, that was, that was insane. Diana Taurasi doesn't have the counting stats Ionescu has, but playing it in the UConn beach, and she spent a, a lot of time around winning basketball, and she spread the ball around a little bit more. Still has um, 2,600 and 600. 2,000 career points, six, over 600 rebounds, over 600 and uh, assists and in her time at UConn went one thirty nine and eight when she played there three titles four Final Fours like that's that's an illustrious career playing with a bunch of top tier players as well like I think Sabrina Ionescu was so far and away the best player on her team where Diana Taurasi wasn't but still had similar success so and I I don't want it the 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 championship narrative to get too off the rails because I do think that championships are very especially in college are very much dependent on overall team composition. And that's not a that, – that, I don't mean that to be a knock on Tarazi, two-time player of the year. Um, I, I just think that when you look at who wins in the tournament, again, we go back to, like, Zion and that Duke team last year. They were some great, great individual players. But who do they get beat by and who, who are those type teams prone to lose to? Are the senior-laden – Experienced, well-coached grinder teams in the tournament that have been there, or even before. in women like Skylar Dingens never won a title, right? right. So, and and I think it's both of all of these points, and we're talking about the women's game, the women's game, and the men's game, especially in college. To me, are so different. I think like individual talent, maybe for the men's game, may be able to carry a team for success if you have someone who's so much better than the other people on the floor. For the women's game, it's so much of a team game. Like, you can have a Diana Torres, you can have a Maya Moore, you can have a Skylar Diggins, but if your team as a whole isn't 
collective isn't a unit, is, isn't better than the other team, you're not going to win a national championship. The best teams in women's college basketball win national championships. Like, it's just, that's just how it goes. Right, and, and maybe kind of flipping to that other end of the spectrum with individual players, Pistol Pete Maravich. Yeah, people forget, like, not, not even people forget, but, like, people aren't, just aren't educated on what Pistol Pete Maravich did at LSU. And shout out to Calvin Lydon, who hit us up yeah. on Twitter, giving us, you know, this answer uh, uh, to the question that was, who's the best college basketball player ever? Um, and I think you posted that off of your account, or was that on the Straight Facts account? I think no, it was on the Straight Facts account. I think it was a Straight Facts account. Regardless, check that out. But Pistol Pete, over 40 points per game, three straight years. You want to talk about outlier and ridiculous, gaudy counting stats. Pete Maravich was putting up 40 points per game without a three-point line. Without a three-point line. Like, that's hard to do. That's, as a shooter. That's, as a shooter. He's not like a center, but he's a, he's a shooter. 3,667 career points with no three-point line. Like, forget. Gaudy. Gaudy. Forget, like, being able to do it. Like, like literally being able to do that within the given time frame without a three-point line is impressive. That's like when it goes back, it reminds me of when Clay Thompson set the most points in a quarter record. Uh, or maybe he tied it with George Gervin. George Gervin did it without a three-point line. Like, to me, no, that's Clay, just... Clay beat the record, but he, George was... He right was 37. There. I think Gervin was 36 or 34. The thing with Gervin is he wouldn't have been able to make the threes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, and, and that now goes back to comparing eras, because who knows, if he was... If there's a three-point line his entire life and he grew up yeah, as yeah, a ball-handling guy, he probably is going to at least at least have some... Doesn't, as, as we've seen with the Sixers... <clears throat> Not a shoe in that that you have a three point shot if you're a ball handling you know wing type player. And so. there it is, ding 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 ding. The time in the podcast where Jake brings it back to the Sixers. You hit it early today. I do want to just say one more thing about Cheryl Miller. I would have included her instead of Tarasi, but you, it's I cannot find USC stats from the '80s for women's college basketball. I was it really college. get on it. Basketball reference that's nope. to you. It, they're bad with college basketball, man. I, like I went back to see who had who had uh, done Wilt stat line which more than 29 points, more than 17 rebounds, it only goes back to 1990. I mean, they have, in terms of the player finder, so like if I'm trying to find who did this or who hit these standards, it only goes back to 1990, which to me kind of takes away the point of it. But, I mean, I guess they're, they're going to build from here. But, like, that was, I was very disappointed in college basketball reference, which also they are stationed in Philadelphia, something I learned recently. Didn't know that. So it's time to run up on their door and tell <laughs> I might, I might pay him a visit, yeah. Do, do better. Do better. Yeah, you guys, need to, you guys need to include more college stats. You guys need to go back and scrape the Wilt Chamberlain game film and tell me how many, how many blocks per game he got. Right. And we know our fans. We know, what do you call our fans? We, what's, the, what's the name for them? The Faction. Okay, I don't know how much I love that. But <laughs> I mean, like that's a B. That's a B name. That's, that's a fine. B name. All right, guys. Well, let me hear your A plus name. Let me hear him. I did kind of project. I kind of put fine. you out there just to shoot you down on the airwaves. But I know, I know, our fans have our their own opinions. They've let us know about this on Twitter and Instagram multiple times before. Obviously, this is not the end all be all list of four names that we have. So hit us up with your with your names on Instagram or Twitter. 
And we'll, and we'll put a poll out, too, yeah, so we'll respond to that, and if, if there's someone missing, let us know. Let us know. At Straight Facts Pod on both Instagram and Twitter, let us know who we're missing and why. You'll probably be wrong, but let us know anyway. But So switching gears here a little bit, uh, I know the NBA, or the NFL rather Combine is happening right now. It'll continue to ramp up. Players are still reporting. It goes position by position, um, and those guys will do tests, and obviously it'll blow up on social media. But a question that I've always had, because we've seen guys just tear up up the combine freak of nature athleticism and then just not pan out in the nfl and vice versa right and vice versa right tom brady worst combine ever (laughs) Demarcus russell they said had the best combine ever so obviously mike mamula mike mamula another one not the end all be all but i wonder if really it matters at all aside from like this guy isn't a a total wreck like because you get to interview him and talk to him as a person too like, does the combine matter? And I saw a Cal Berkeley study that actually said there's no correlation between a good combine performance and a good NFL career. And I put that in the script, and Matt immediately eviscerated it. He, he, he was this is, okay, it. we're going to put this on social. This is a real... Below is a visualization to compensate for not being entirely clear in describing the concept. It has it's a box that says combine results, arrow draft order, arrow NFL performance, and an arrow with an X on it. This is the detailed breakdown. <laughs> Matt, <laughs> but, science, okay. But, but my overall thing, problem with this study, is that so much of the combine is looking at specific players and seeing what they specifically need to do, what areas they need to do well in those areas. And certain running backs, like you're going to say, oh, he needs to prove he can do a three-cone route well, a three-cone drill well, because we know he's fast, we don't know he has... And then other, it's the exact opposite. And it's, you can't be, it's way too broad when the combine is about, it's literally exactly about scouts looking at specific players, specific traits. I, I agree. To me, the NFL combine is almost like standardized testing in school. Like, you're judging everybody based on the same criteria where not everyone has just what you're saying, the same skill sets. They bring the same thing to the table. Just because I don't do good at the combine, just because I don't do well in my SATs doesn't mean I'm not smart, doesn't mean I'm not athletic. It means I didn't do well in this certain box that you put me in. But we know that sports lends itself to so many different situations, so many different scenarios that I think it's a little bit unfair to have one thing to say, this is how we judge players on, you know, all the way across the board regardless. Right, and I thought it was a good point by Matt like obviously different players need different tools what's you know blowing up a certain event may not be as impactful for one position as it may be another so let's go position by position here and let's determine what the most important or one of the most important events is for each position starting with the quarterback position and for this one I think since quarterback is so much about mental and decision making and you're usually the face of your franchise, the interview is actually the most important for the quarterback because a lot of these guys are going to have their tape picked apart more than any other position, right? I mean, I'm sure the the guys pour over tape for all the positions, but quarterback has been made out to be the most important position with how much there's so so much passing in the NFL today. They're the most marketable guys. And these GMs want to know, is this guy going to be marketable? And is this guy going to be a good decision maker? That's what's most important, in my opinion. So any more important than anything you do on the field. Like, more important than how you throw, more important than your 40. More you have the tape to look at that. And a lot of the guys don't throw. 
Joe Burrow won't be throwing at this combine. Joe Burrow's not going to throw because his hands were <laughs> – <laughs> he got shook by the size of his hands. Yeah. So, Nine-inch really hands. Who who before, like, a week ago knew that was a small number for an NFL quarterback? I didn't know. I don't like, want to measure my hands. Mine, like, <laughs> mine is, like, eight and three-quarters. It's always – it's a threshold. So it doesn't matter if you have – well, I mean – I was going to say it doesn't matter if you have like 15 inch hands, but if you have 15 inch hands, you're, you're going number one overall. Yeah, you're, you're going number one overall. Well, you're probably playing the wrong sport. You should be playing basketball, palm the ball with ease, or baseball. Either way, regardless, we're getting off you're track here. Broke, whatever. But yeah, it's just a threshold, not necessarily. They they want to say, and that's <clears> and that's for a lot of these tests. Is you just can't be. I do want to say Deshaun Watson fell below Mitch Trubisky, Trubisky a lot because his ball velocity was a lot lower than people wanted it to be. When, if you looked at his Clemson tape, you could tell that he could throw the deep ball well. And everyone says, oh, he can't throw deep ball well because it was only 49.6 miles per hour. And I was just thinking, like, at the time, like, what are you guys talking about? That's it, bro. That's, I'm it's, telling you. It's that's... getting way into much. You can see it on the tape, and Watson, you look at the others, it's it's. That's the SAT mindset. You know what I mean? This guy obviously, you know, isn't good at math because he scored below, you know, a 500 on his math section. You know what I mean? Like, it's 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 looking at one thing under a microscope and judging it one time in that one scenario. I think pro days are doing a good job of kind of flipping that because you can get them out of the combine element and now you can put them in, you know, kind of your system, what routes you like to run, your team basis, and, you know, he's throwing just for your team. But, you know, I agree. You look at you know, players very specifically in one space and judging them off of that, and I think that's unfair. I also think it's very important that, like, smaller schools where they can, can't can see tape against top opponents can see how – so scouts can see how they measure up athletically with the other draft prospects. I think that's another important part right, of the combine. Right. So interview is something that's very important for quarterbacks, not so important for running backs. So let's look there, and uh, what do you guys think first pops to mind when you think of impactful – events that correlate to I think success everybody's gonna obviously go right to the 40 time which is a, a big deal for a running back and you, you got to have some some kind of speed but i think the three cone drill and the shuffle drill are are vitally important to the running back position because quickness is just as in, important to me as speed is you got to be able to have quickness in narrow situations as a running back you're going to be running in very tight situations you're going to be dealing with a lot of footwork and how you can get in and out of breaks and go from start to stop and change directions smoothly and easily i think is a very important trait so i'm thinking the cone drill is the most important for running back for whatever reason i don't know why i've been trying to think about it it says the broad jump if you just look at the numbers, and I'm thinking like maybe leg strength, but they have like leg press. Like I don't. But the median broad jump was 100 for running backs from 2013 to 2017 was 118 inches. Players who passed that margin gained an average of roughly 1,300 rushing yards in their careers and played an average of 3.7 years. And if you were below that number, your average rushing yards falls to 550 yards and two and a half seasons. I'm not I'm like I'm trying to like figure out where the like how that where the correlation is like I'm trying to feel like why why so is that I if I had to guess it would be to determine I mean that's a lot about lower body explosiveness and it's a higher correlation than the 40 yard dash well right because there are guys who are fast who are really fast but that's their only skill they have no other they have no vision they can't cut they can't break a tackle uh, they can't break a tackle they can't block for their quarterback so I think it, it, it does do a good job of showing how explosive a certain player is. 
Um, which ironically, I was gonna say Derrick Henry's broad jump, one hundred thirty inches. Uh, like, like that guy's not human. <laughs> He's not human. I don't even want to see something that big fly through the air like that. I don't so, want to see well, it. That, that like scares me. Yeah, when I like, read I, it I, out I don't want to watch. It, it's funny that you mentioned that because broad jump also has a strong correlation with interior offensive linemen. I think for a lot of the same reasons yeah, a lot because of body they're firing off right, especially if you're like a center or something. Oh, and it's stop start. Mm-hmm. That's that's that's. I think that's the answer. Right. So you're and you're not getting any run up to build up that type energy. So so when you cut and then go up, it's kind of the same thing as yeah. right. If you look, uh, Jason Kelsey, 110 inches in the broad jump in 2011, <laughs> which like guys that big just like shouldn't. <laughs> Like it's I'm like sorry to laugh, but I'm, like that's a guy damn near 300 pounds, like, nine feet. Yeah, like that's insane with no running start. Right. That's just a a straight planted jump, and he's going nine feet. He I, clears Taco Fall laying on the ground by a foot and a half. I don't know if I could do that right now. If we went in the hallway, you I could not. I don't know if I. No, could do none that. of us could. You guys are muscled up freaks. But uh, also speaking about Kelsey, I actually didn't know this. He has the all-time record for fastest shuttle by an O-lineman. Um, again, maybe not something that is super correlative to success. Well, if you just look at his blocking success, because he's a big upfield blocker. And, and they pull it. him to a and lot, so him, he'll be yeah. coming around. He has to keep up with his running back. And that's footwork, because you watch, you know what a, sh- a shuttle drill is, like going back and forth mm-hmm. and to the left and then back and to the right and back. And I think that's very important for a lineman, especially when you're just talking about him pulling, being able to move in the directions and the space you're supposed to while keeping your head up. Like, I need to hit this hole at this angle, but I can't be looking down at my feet the whole time while I'm doing it. I need to be looking at who I'm going to block. So being able to do that while keeping your head up is very important. Yeah, and... As we move along here, I, I think I'm going to l- let's lump together and just call them pass catchers, wide receivers, tight ends. Let's put them in the same category because I think that they both are aided by the same drill. And, and I think vertical shows, the vertical jump shows not only your explosiveness, but your catch radius, which for that position, you know, you look at a guy like Julio Jones or. Calvin Johnson, for example, were guys that you could put that ball anywhere near them and they're going to try they're, they're going to be able to get hands on it most of the time because whether it's their vertical jump going straight up or that also translates to them having to jump to the side as well, you're using a lot of the same muscles. So for me, I think that if you're looking at both tight end and wide receiver, you can kind of point to vertical being and, and obviously the jump ball factor as well is right. huge. Um, and we'll talk a little bit later about 40 time. I don't think that plays in as much. You have guys like Devontae Adams running a 4-6. <laughs> I don't think that that's... ran a 4-6, too. Right, exactly. So you don't have to be a star. I mean, look, you could be a great route runner, and your speed will be mitigated right. by a lot of Like, that. I think Jerry Judy will run like a like a 4-5-ish, maybe a little slower, a little faster. But we've seen Jerry Judy have crazy breakaway speed. Like, we, we, we've seen it. And his route running is stupendous. Let's not forget, Saquon Barkley ran damn near a 4-4 four, four his, first, his first 40. Like, it was a really bad 40 time. And we all know if Saquon Barkley gets in the open field, there's seldom people that are catching him. Like, it, it happens. Yeah, and, and positional, like, for all these positions, wow. positional drills where they will be running these routes, they will be catching balls, running deep routes, like, 
that's when you start to get to see the other side of it, not just the pure athleticism. So I guess to answer the overall question, I would say the combine still matters. I would say not performing in the combine would do you a disservice, one, because other people are showcasing their skills and you're just simply not. But it's it's showing it in, like, I never like, you know, putting putting my putting my hat on, you know, a, a, a skills competition or a skills showcase where you're not having resistance to you. There's no one mm-hmm. there. Like, you can do all these things perfectly with nobody there. It's so different when there's people lined up against you looking to take your helmet off. Like, it changes the game 100% completely when you put pads on, when you put a strategy into it, when you put a situation into the game. Like, it's so different. It's cool if I can see you throw a 40-yard pass right now with no defensive lineman coming at you, with no DBs covering your receiver, with no situation on the clock. Like, awesome. I'm very glad you're able to do that, but... Do it in the game is what I need to see. Right, and Matt put this stat in the script for us. When you look at not maybe not a player blowing up a specific event, doing really well, but overall, if they do well in multiple events, 55.9% of players that were the top performer in three different combine events are starters. And when you break it down by position, 77% of guards ended up being starters, 75% of quarterbacks, or cornerbacks, excuse me, 70% of tight ends, 70% of offensive tackles all ended up being starters when leading three different events, but only 37% of quarterbacks and 26% of running backs, which is a very, it's very interesting. Tell us why, Stat Matt. I think quarterbacks, I think it's more simple because a combine's harder to equate what a quarterback does with reading defenses and other stuff. Um, but I think with guards and tight ends and tackles, a lot of that is physical strength, mm-hmm. and a lot of that is weightlifting. A lot of it is like that. That makes sense that a combine would be more important. Running backs, I, I could see three is a lot for a running back to be the top performer in three. So I feel like if you're a running back, you just want to be good in like the forty, good in the three count, good in the shuffle, good in the show. Yeah, yeah. But, you don't have to be the top performer. Right. And before we move on to bullish or bullshit, just the last thing about we talk about, you know, this doesn't make maybe there isn't strict correlation between having NFL success and having a good combine. But I would wager that there is somewhat of a correlation between having a good combine and being drafted higher in the draft. 100%. <laughs> who are some players who could really benefit from blowing up a certain event? Um, well, first comes to the top of my mind, someone who put a whole lot of pressure on himself is Henry Ruggs of Alabama saying that he's going to, he didn't say he hopes to, he said he's going to run the fastest 40 time. And especially when you compare him to his teammate, people who are saying maybe one of the fastest receivers coming out of this draft, if he does run the fastest 40 time, he runs it ahead of CeeDee Lamb, he runs it ahead of Jerry Judy. If he runs the fastest 40 time, he's going to push himself up to maybe like top 15, top 10 status in the draft. Right. It's it's going to propel him a lot. We saw Hollywood Brown last year. I mean, he didn't go top 10, but he worked his way into the first round by just being a pure skill guy or a pure speed guy, excuse me. And guys like Deshaun Jackson have made a career off of being pretty much pure skill guy, or pure, I said it again, pure speed guys. Mm-hmm. I think Deshaun Jackson also has some technical ability as well. But another guy who I think will have a lot of eyes on him <coughs> is Tua Tagovailoa with that hip. And, and, I th- and to your point that you're about to make, I think 
everything but Tua's throwing will determine where Tua goes in the draft. Right. We talked about lower body power being generated, a lot of power being generated in the hips. Broad jump is what comes to mind for me. Um, is he? And, and all, all the stuff I've heard is that his medicals look awesome. He looks totally fine. He's going to make a full recovery. He's going to be the same guy. I see man's limping still. I he see looked, him limping. He was he limping. Gimpy. But being from a guy who has busted up knees, a lot of that <laughs> when you first come back can be mental. Like, Just you've taught it. yourself the limp. Yeah. We saw Zion. His first game back, it looked like he had a limp. And he's been a beast in the NBA so far. So... That may be the 40 time. I know Tua can, is a more mobile quarterback. People want to see just how much top-end speed he has. But um, is there any, any anyone else? Isaiah Simmons, I love Clemson grad. Oh, shocker. Uh, athletic freak. What I am a little worried about is he is incredibly versatile, which could be he's going to be incredible player. NFL teams can be safety and like a defensive end rusher for a couple plays or just linebacker. It also means... A jack of all trades, but a master of none. Yeah. So I think it's yeah. It, that helps you in college yeah. to be able to play multiple positions. When you get to professional levels, they want you to. I do think he'll be a combine freak, though. Yeah. It, I saw a video of him and Travis Etienne doing a forty-yard dash, and it was a photo finish. And Travis Etienne has way top end speed. Like mm-hmm. he, it, like if you remember, Ryan Shazier, I think ran a sub four-four. And that helped him out tremendously. And obviously, it ended up he was a beast of a linebacker. Um, and I, I see a lot of that in Isaiah Simmons. And to be honest, I think his versatility will help him. Maybe not in the combine, but overall in his career, his versatility will help him in the NFL. Especially if they put him as special teams first. If he has to go on special teams first, that kind of versatility, you know, allows you to get eyes, especially in, you know, you know wide open field situations such as special teams. So. All right, y'all, let's move into the second half of our of our episode. We're going to get into bullshit or bullshit. And to do that, we welcome in Jewel Schmitz. Hi, Jewel. Here how, I am. I know. So always so excited to have you. You got good energy. This is, I do. When I ask how you're doing, that's that's the kind of energy and response. You want to know I why I have good energy right here, now? And this happened over the course of the last probably three minutes before I walked up on in here. Um, decaf coffee versus regular coffee. Huge uh, difference. Huge difference. Huge difference. Huge difference and decaffeinated. I did know there were chemicals added. I knew obviously it was diluted and whatnot, but it like makes you a little tired too if you don't throw in a little bit of sugar. So I had to go do that, and now I'm all ready to go, and I'll you probably be coffee black, wired for the freaking night. You drink your coffee black, don't Typically, you? Typically, yes, Ugh. I do. Oh, it makes my spine crawl. That's a, that's I'm more a of a guy cut. than both of you combined. So. <laughs> well, let's be real here. I don't know how Google will do it. All right. Well, that's bullshit. So let's <laughs> so let's let's get into bullshit. Bullshit. You'll start us off. All right, here we go. Number one, the Rockets succeeding in the playoffs with small ball. I'm bullshit on it. That 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 to me, um, I'm bullshit on it. Like I think we talk about it all the time. It's one thing to play in the regular season and play a team for one night, and then you have to move on. If I'm game planning for an entire series, they might be able to beat the latter teams just on sure talent alone. But when you go into the second and third rounds and you're playing these really deep, really talented teams with great coaching and great skill, I, I just don't see. Tell me how, you know, a, a team with PJ Tucker at center defeats the Lakers. Like, because they like, run. Well, here, and the Lakers are the but tough the Lakers one. The Lakers, no, the Lakers, the Lakers are really their like, their their death knell in my opinion. I don't opinion. think like, they beat the they Clippers get, with it. Well, the Clippers, on the other hand, like who's the Clippers big? Montrez Harrell, is he the one who they, in their, in their finishing lineup? Like, I don't want to, starting lineup doesn't yeah, really matter. Mont, Mont, Montrez. So, 
are they going to, like, to me, what's he, 6'8"? Like, P.J. Tucker's 6'6", six, 6'7"? Six, six, I mean, they're going to be able to run. They're going to have to keep pace. Other teams are going to have to keep pace with the Houston Rockets. And when you have a physical guard like Russell Westbrook, I think that that makes up for the lack of rebounding that you might get from your traditional center. I tend to agree with you when it comes playoff time. Like, what is this team's ceiling? See, everything goes right. What is the, How far can they go? Conference finals. So you don't think they can beat Lakers, Clippers? Would you say they're the third best team in the West? Are they better than the Nuggets? Uh, right now, I would take them over the Nuggets. I, I, I have a tough time taking them over. Because... Jokic is the Nuggets' best player. Like, the the offense runs through Nikola Jokic, not just through scoring, but through facilitating as well. And I think he's just so good at commanding the inside of the floor that you have to have someone with that kind of presence and that kind of stature to be able to, to, to deal with him. And, like, I think if Jokic has, like, a 35% usage rate in the playoffs and, TJ, and P.J. Tucker has to be the one defending that, and then when P.J. gets tired, would they bring in a 40-year-old Tyson Chandler to deal with it? Like, I, I don't see that working. Could they sign DeMarcus Cousins after he's bought out by the uh, Lakers? Could they? Yes. Are they going to? No. That contradicts exactly what they're doing. They pushed all their chips to the center of the table with the small ball thing. Signing DeMarcus Cousins goes away from So that. then let's determine what succeeding is. Is succeeding getting to the conference finals? For the Rockets? Right, because the question no, was... They've been, they've been there. No. So then they would have to get to the finals to, wit, to to be considered bullish on the Rockets succeeding in the playoffs, right? Yes, yes. Then I'm not bull. I, I would say it's bullshit. I I think... That, here's, here's the difference between you and I. I think they can get there. I don't think they, they will. will get there. I mean, I guess, you know, success is subjective. So, like, what do you think succeeding in the playoffs? To the Rockets, to me, getting to the second round is not successful in the playoffs. They've been there the past three years. That's right. Well, even, even getting to the conference finals, just because, like you said, they have that prior history. If it was their first year doing this and they got and they got to the conference finals, it's, it's success. But you're now working with a newly formatted team, and this could possibly be the last time we see uh, D'Antoni. I think this is D'Antoni's Hail Mary pass. Right. I think it was his Hail Mary play. So I go bullshit, but I do think there is a backdoor possibility. All right, next. The Pelicans making the playoffs. I, I, I'm seeing so much momentum with this team. I'm bullish on it. I think like the the what we've seen Zion being able to add to this Pelicans team and how they're all playing well around him, how much firepower and star power he is, how he's rejuvenated the team, the chemistry that him and Lonzo Ball are showing right now. Like, I think the Grizzlies, I think, are clinging on to that eighth seed right now, and I think it's only a matter of time before the Pelicans come up and grab it from them. Right, so there's, as we record this, there's 24 games left about for, at least for the Pelicans, they have 28, uh, 24 games left, and they are three and a half back. Of the Grizzlies. Now, as you said, they're both trending in different directions. Pelicans, since they've gotten Zion back, have looked awesome, which mm-hmm. is a shame because if they had him from the beginning of the season, this probably wouldn't be a discussion. They'd right. probably be in. And, and let's not have them jumping over the Portland Trailblazers right now who currently sit above them. Like, let's Correct. Right. And they, well, they're only a half game back of the Trailblazers, but it is fair to say that the Blazers are still ahead of them. They would mm-hmm. have to jump them as well. But I do think they're trending in the right way. The Grizzlies have a tough couple of games. They play those Houston Rockets tonight as we record this on Wednesday. They play them on national TV, and I think they are trending the wrong way. So ah, it's just a lot of ground to make up when you have other teams who are close as well. I'm going to go bullshit on this one, but I'll offer an alternative, which is actually still on brand. Bullish or bullshit on Zion Williamson hawking 
John Morant for the rookie of the year. Bullish, man. Bullish. See, I think the two are tied. I think last. I mean, if he if he continues this trend, we got like what? This is five straight twenty five plus games right now. Like this is. I just don't know if he's going to have it. The only thing I worry is he's not going to have enough games because we saw Embiid have 33, 32 games. They ended up giving it to Brogdon that year. So that definitely weighs in. I think it comes down to if the Pelicans get in, and it's his. his. If not, I think you probably have to go. I think it's who finishes higher. Even if neither of them get in and the Blazers get that eighth seed, correct. If the Grizzlies finish above the the Pelicans, they'll give it to Ja. Vice versa, they'll give it to, to Zion. We agree. All right, last but not least, the proposed NFL change is being passed. I was bullish until... Uh, until like three hours ago. Yeah, until yeah. about three hours before <laughs> yeah. the show. Mike Pouncer, one of the pouncies, and Russell Wilson, I saw just going off. and The, the players are not too happy about how their representative re- representatives litigated this. Um, it oh. would include a 17-game schedule. It would include a, an increase in pay, but would also include neutral site games, a lot of weird stuff, and a lot of shifting going on. And the players overall were not happy with it. Give health care to the NFL players. Matt wants health care. I don't know if that came through. Matt says health care <laughs> for all. Very on brand for Matt. But right. that's a tough sell, but that, that's what these uh, negotiations are for. That's what these negotiations are for. It is, all right, you don't want to give us what we want, then we're going to hold out. And that's, That was going to be my next question. Bullish or bullshit on if they do get past, we go to the NFL holdout. We might here's, be, yeah, we might be seeing a strike soon. I'm going to be, be bu- here, here's, let me say this first. I'm bullish on most of the proposed changes. The big, I think the 17 games will get across. Yeah, me too. I think that every team having a neutral site, and I think the playoff, all, all those changes that they're that they're suggesting, I think those will get passed. But I, I think I'm also bullish on there being a lockout. For that to happen, mm. and you know maybe they're they're able to figure it out, but neither side wants that. Here's why I'll, I'm going to go bullshit is because I think the NFL really isn't worried about too much what all the players think. They're worried very much about what the models of their league think. They're very money oriented. If the models of our league, if the faces of our league don't like it, we're not going to do it because it won't make us money. Now, if Tom Brady, Pat Mahomes, Russell Wilson, the faces of the NFL come out and say, I don't like these rule changes. Which I have. I th- I, and I think that is the only thing that will make the owners and Roger Goodell go, uh, maybe we can't pass these because especially Brady. Like, especially if Tom Brady comes out and says, I don't like them. They're, they're He's gonna essentially like, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. drink. Like, like, at the end of the day, you can't make them play if it's, right? Like, beauty of that's your leverage. Yeah. That's, that's the... In the NFL, it's about the only leverage that, that they got. Yep. Yeah. That was a great segment of Bullish or Bullshit, but it's time to figure out what happened this past week of sports. For that, we turn to our lovely Joel Schmitz. Let us know. What's going on, everybody? Joel Schmitz here. This past week in sports, Yankees pitcher Luis Severino will be having Tommy John surgery on, I think it's tomorrow he gets the surgery, yeah, correct? Um, number two, Steph Curry returns from his injury um, for his first game this weekend. Uh, number three, 2020 Olympics could be canceled due to the coronavirus outbreak. Number four, tests were done on Ben Simmons to reveal that he has suffered nerve impingement in his lower back, um, and he will be reevaluated in two weeks. That's interesting to me. I actually am very excited to talk to that about that. And number five, Deontay Wilder says 
the 40-pound costume <laughs> that he chose to wear <laughs> left his legs dead in a seventh-round TKA loss to Tyson Fury. That's the one I can't wait to talk about. <laughs> yeah, that... <laughs> Fucking Deontay. Come on, Neil. All right, so this whole Tommy John surgery thing, Severino has been diagnosed with a partially torn UCL injury and will be having the Tommy John surgery this week, as stated. Uh, his issues date back to the ALCS when mm -hmm. he mentioned discomfort mm -hmm. in his right forearm while receiving treatment um, following a, three, a, a, a game three start against the Houston um, team. Cheating ass Right. <laughs> right. So my, my, my point is he, he expressed discomfort before this. This wasn't like a one-and-done injury. This is a high rate of success for a surgery, but that still does give that one little chance that he may not return. Um, he is going to have to follow treatment afterwards and be on top. Basically, he has to be on his own ass. It's, it's, he has to be... It, it, 100%. What was most interesting to me about this is the prevention of this. So that that that's, that's what stands out to me here. This is like a last resort surgery so like i'm just wondering was he not properly warming up was he maintaining proper form was he following proper pitch counts like I there's so many things that were I factors he wasn't following quote-unquote proper protocol because if you remember he expressed discomfort went out and then came back in that series to pitch a pivotal game and pitched really well like came back so a that... little early and pitched really well and you know i've been talking to um one of my best friends one of our good friends mike anthony pitched for LaSalle baseball and he was talking to me about Tommy John surgery, and he was almost saying that a lot of scouts ask you, like going in, if you're going to try to go pro, they ask you, have you had Tommy John surgery yet? Because right. it's almost saying, like, if you haven't had it yet, you're going to have to have it at some point. We don't want that to be on our watch to lose you for a year or two to get Tommy John. I mean, should people just start pulling the Jamie Moyer route and just, like, throw 80 miles per hour, you play a 20-year career, and you never have this issue, and you're never hurt, and the Yankees now are down their number two starter, who was big for them. Like, Huge. Like Tom, Tommy John surgery is on the rise because pitchers are being taught to throw with mechanics, taught to throw with mechanics that actively hurt their shoulders for an increase in velocity. That's the problem. Classic capitalism, am I right, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. All right, next, Steph Curry returns from his injury. Uh, now, this was supposed to be a transition year for the Warriors, but obviously with all the injuries going on, they had to adjust and reframe their play to action. Uh, four games into the season, Curry had left with a broken hand, and the team has looked basically very nonchalant since kind of just they, drifted they through time. They don't care. They don't care. <laughs> they look terrible. They really yeah, don't, they don't care, care at all. Um, he'll be returning this Sunday for their game against the Warriors, but will it be enough, and what else needs to be done around him? I, it, it's weird. I didn't think there was a reason to bring Steph Curry uh, back. Me, like, me like for what means? For well, what means? Yeah, I think his mere presence is going to shift the dynamic. Here, here's what uh, Rick Buecher actually was on Scal and Pals and was saying that a lot of the decisions by the Warriors, remember, they're in a brand new state-of-the-art arena. That they, they traded wanna, so many players, uh, too. They, like... they want to sell out. Joe Lacob has been saying, hey, we gotta, oh, you got to, this is going to be the year. Oh, you, we have to sell out tickets. And that's partially the reason for the Andrew Wiggins move. Obviously, it helps them with a better fit than D'Angelo Russell was. But I think for Steph Curry, it's a big move about writing this franchise, saying, hey, we're still that team that was the dynasty just a year ago. So, will he make a difference? No. Will he help sell more tickets? Hell yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. 
And I think they also want to get some chemistry between him and Wiggins if, they, if they're going to be playing and keeping Wiggins. I can't imagine coming back from this so quickly, four, four months post-surgery and being 100%, and I'm sure he'll they, be they on... They said he's not 100%, or right. might he'll not be. Right, he'll be on minute restrictions, 100%. Like, mm-hmm. he's not going to play the like, I haven't his seen Steph time. Curry wear a brace. I haven't seen Steph Curry favor the hand. I haven't seen Steph Curry do anything... For a couple months, I suggested that hand is still hurt. Right. Well, because it's got that lingering nerve damage as well. It's not just the broken hand. Lifting it's up the... his wife and yeah, being that, real that, horny I... with her on social media <laughs> with that broken hand. I was actually that debating on bringing that up. I'm glad somebody did. That, that sure looked broken there, huh? That man don't give a fuck. That man <laughs> detrimentally horny on Instagram. <laughs> you, know, you know what that picture was? That... <laughs> Hurry up, take right, a pic. Right. <laughs> take, take a note. <laughs> Get out of here. All right, next. This is, okay, 2020 Olympics could be canceled due to the coronavirus outbreak. So, <laughs> glad you're laughing. <laughs> like, like, I mean, if, you just brought it up. With forgive the me if I if I seem very um, naive about the subject. So there is a man on the Olympic committee What's named his Dick, name? pa- Dick Pound. Yeah, <laughs> Dick, you say it loud and proud. Dick though. Pound. You know what? <laughs> Dick is a member of the International Olympic Committee, the IOC. I have a couple fun facts about Dick that I dug up today. <laughs> fun fact number one, he is the longest serving member <laughs> in history. Yeah, I bet. I bet you're the longest serving long member in history. I bet you are. Going, I hope they're all funny like Fun fact number two. He's a former Canadian swimming champion. All right, Dick. <laughs> Thank you for your services. Did you know that about Dick? No, yeah, Dick moves fast in the water. Cool. Fun <laughs> Fast swimmers. Yeah, there you go. Come on now. Fun fact number three. His real name is Richard William Duncan Pound. Why Stoic. not go by Rich? Rip. Billy, like go by your middle name. Duncan. I've never understood why Richards go by Dick. Like I never understood it. You couldn't have gone. You couldn't have gone to our middle school or high school. You just no, simply well, couldn't. Well, and it's also I'm imagining he's pretty old, probably. You know, they didn't. They didn't find it as funny. They didn't have the refined sense of humor that middle schoolers and high schoolers have today. Timeless, or the internet, because we're all children. Yeah, dick, correct. To me, a dick joke is, prim- is timeless. <laughs> Uh, last but not least with these fun facts. In 2005, he was named one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People. Mm. Wow. Dig. Dick moves a lot of people. <laughs> I think there's only one more thing to say about these here fun facts I just spit. I love Dick. There you go. Oh, Pound. Man. There you go. <laughs> anyway, this no, is supposed to be about like the actual coronavirus. <laughs> no, I mean, on such a real note, he told the Associated Press that he is aware there are concerns over holding the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo amid the recent coronavirus outbreak. And he says that if the games are going to be canceled, it should be done within the next three months in order to minimize the impact. Oh, <laughs> man. Minimize the impact. He's going to be minimizing the impact with his dick pound. Says dick <laughs> Uh. But it's too difficult to predict right now. I think over in China right now, it has infected more than 80,000 people and killed more than 2,700 globally. And also, I found out this morning at work that it has reached 57 cases in America now. And I I didn't know it was that many. It's almost epidemic Uh, level. In Philly, there's a a couple cases in Philly. There are? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. No way. Yeah, time to quarantine ourselves. Are you lying? About to not come out of my house. So there is precedent for this kind of thing. But it's Women's World Cup. It was supposed to be in China in 2003. Then the SARS outbreak happened. They moved it to America. So America's about to come up, is what I hear. We're about to gain in the Olympics. Well, it's not going to be in Philadelphia. Budget for the Center of Disease Control by nine percent. So all right, Ben Simmons injury. Our favorite 
topic of our podcast of all time, the 76ers. His favorite. His favorite uh, ben sure. Simmons has been playing some of the best basketball of his career. And, of course, news came out this week that he has suffered nerve impingement. He hurt his shoulder like 20 minutes ago. Of course he did. Because no. we're, we're, we are Philadelphia, and this shit happens to us on the fly here's, and frequently. And um, that's just the way it goes in Philly. And, and here's my interesting <laughs> perspective on it. Apparently he had reported discomfort pre-All-Star right. break in his back and then played in the All-Star game. Well, not, not even that. Against the Bucks too. He, it's not a good look for the medical uh, medical staff. We already know the Sixers medical right. staff. They're, they're is probably horrible. the worst in sports. Right. But you have to take some ownership as a player. If you feel discomfort in your back before the All-Star game, that probably tells you you should not play in the All-Star game. If you have any kind of nagging injury, you should not play in the All-Star game. All right. Now, to, just because of Matt said what he said, if this is longer than a few games that he's out, I have a feeling it will be because, again, we are Philadelphia and this shit happens to us on the regular basis. Be reevaluated <laughs> two weeks, right? What, what do the Sixers need to do to kind of adapt without him and potentially Embiid now? Uh, Goddamn. I mean, without Embiid, it, it, I don't know. It's, it's a Warford's <laughs> team. Yeah, right. It's like it's, it's <laughs> Tobias. Look, you go with who's making the... the Tobias the, has been very consistent. Right, who's making the next, more amount, next most amount of money? Tobias Harris. It's now you got to step up. They also have, have, have an easier schedule from here they on do. out. Hopefully that is on their side. Let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. Why the fuck can't anything ever be easy? Why can't we go? You don't even have to win. I don't care that they're not a great team this year. Just get to the playoffs as a team that you are. Why? Why? <laughs> Why? 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 The Eagles. The Eagles. Their entire team got decimated by the playoffs. The Sixers. Every fucking year. <laughs> Wait, Why? no, but Jake, Jake, Philly's Jake. Philly's lost all their relief pitchers. Philly's lost Jake, everybody. And, and their leadoff hitter. And one of the most Jake, important people on the team. A, a positive thing that you might like out of this is this kind of stuff has been going on, obviously, consistently for the past couple years with the Sixers. Let's make note here when this did happen with Embiid about two years ago, they went on like a 17-game win streak. So let, maybe something Simmons freaky will happen. That was with, and here's, here's the problem <laughs> with the back impingement is when you have a pinched nerve in your back, you can feel like you're yeah. fine, and then you go to lift something heavy or do something, and it, it tweaks, and you're right back to square one with it. So Ben Simmons might not play again this year. Like, who knows? He's going to be reevaluated in two weeks. He's not going to be back in two weeks. Right. And the worst thing about all of this is that it's going to save Brett Brown from getting fired. I know. I know. That's the worst part about it. Yo, Shake Milton was out there shaking it up, though. The, 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 uh, the other day, they threw him in there. He just he tells what he needs They're to do. Like 10 to the Cavs. Oh boy, Matt! You need that's to stop you recording. Know. <laughs> <laughs> you need to, for my sanity, you need that to stop recording. That is when you know. Please move on. <laughs> Please, God, move on. All right, this one's for you, James. Uh, Deontay Wilder's costume this weekend. Uh, he wanted to make a grand entrance at his fight with Tyson Fury over the weekend, so he opted to wear a forty-pound costume as a tribute to Black History Month. But Wilder came out and said the costume was too heavy, and that was his reasoning for basically losing. Um, and yeah, <laughs> what do you have to say? <laughs> I was cracking up laughing. Oh, I, I do want to make note, though. It was reported today that in December 2018, in an interview with Joe Rogan, Deontay had said himself that he wears 45-pound vests during training sessions. But that's during but, but, training. Again, and he might have been way, weighing less for right. good reason, but, but like still. I that's know, the, your legs are supposed to be dead after I know, training. I know. That's what's supposed it's to happen. It's still ironic, though. Oh, like, you... Like, <laughs> You have nobody to blame but yourself. I guarantee your corner didn't say, Deontay, wear 40, 40 pounds worth of a costume so you can make an entrance, you know, in, into this, into the biggest fight of your career to, to, to maintain the World Heavyweight Championship. Like, you are the only person 
who decided to wear this vest. And do not try to take anything away from Tyson Fury and losing this match by saying, oh, the only reason I lost is because I didn't have legs under no, me. No, his balance seemed because off. Of, like, he he, like, he did like a seem bunch. off. He yeah. looked really... And, and so he slept the other, a couple times. The other thing to consider is he beefed up for this fight. Last time, Tyson Fury... Tyson Fury is a much bigger, heavier fighter. Um, he packs less of a punch than Deontay does, but overall, Deontay tried to bulk up. So overall, your gas tank, when it's your first time competing at a higher weight, usually your gas tank is less. So that from the jump hurt him. And I, I watched... First off, I knew it was coming. Like, he always comes out in something in, insane. And I knew this is the biggest fight of his it's, career. It's a boxer mentality. I lost, but it's not my fault. Talk about bo- Talk about boxer mentality. You're going to like this. He is upset with his assistant trainer for throwing the towel to stop the fight. No. Man's, man's would have been lying no. unconscious on the canvas. If look, look I get that he wants, I mean, I know he and said he's, it. And he's also displeased with the referee. He wants to kill, <laughs> he said on multiple occasions he wants to kill someone in the ring. So it doesn't surprise me that he might also be okay with dying in the ring. But no one else is okay with that. His trainer right. sure as hell shouldn't be. It was a good job by them to throw in the towel. Yeah. He was getting tagged constantly, so... He'll have another fight, and he'll have a better chance to redeem He's himself. He's mad the ref went to go congratulate Fury. He's, like, oh. pissed at the ref. Uh, no, I mean, uh, what, what do you mean? It's good sportsmanship. I uh, would, yeah. Why? Um, that's not something to be. Look, how about you be upset that you got washed in the biggest fight of your career? No, right. no, no, that's, no that's what I'm saying. I'm not right. saying no, no, he no, should be upset. I'm the saying that he should be, like, so that's the right thing to do. That's a really lame excuse. He looked like Sauron from Lord of the Rings. I told you that. that, was a, that was <laughs> like, that ass. <laughs> First two rounds. Yeah, well, and a lot of that, again, can be to fighting at a different weight. But overall, not what he expected to come out and perform like. So he went out sad, as did I, who bet on him. Black History Month. That is, that's so Black sad. History Month. How about you don't lose in Black History Month? How about that? <laughs> you're, like, you're, you're not representing us very well. <laughs> some crackhead-looking white dude. Oh, like the he did say that he's going back to Africa for a vacation, so maybe he'll recoup there. He definitely should and take his head some on time And come back and... Better. <laughs> I mean, it's what a lot of boxers do is go run on vacation after the fight. But all right, guys, with that heading into the countdown, number five. The number of consecutive wins Bayern Munich has over London, over London-based teams in the Champions League: two versus Arsenal, two versus Tottenham, and now one versus Chelsea after beating them three 0 yesterday, Tuesday, and they've won by a combined an aggregate score of twenty-three to five. And you know, a bunch of players from Bayern came out and said North London is still red. North London is red. That they just seem to own London teams in Champions League. Right, and I saw a stat somewhere, might might have been wrong, but I saw that a, a German team hadn't won at Chelsea in, like, either a really long time or ever in the Champions League. I don't know if that can be true. I saw it tweeted from someone with a check mark, so I'm assuming that it was true. <laughs> but just know that I personally didn't fact check it if I am incorrect. Right. Number four. The number of consecutive months... Oh. Jason Tatum's true shooting percentage has improved 48% in October, 52% in November, 56% in December, 57% in January, and he's reaching critical mass here, 65% in February. He's skyrocketing. I want you to give Jason Tatum props right now. Props on Jason Tatum for be a, being a chucker and just no, putting no, up no, all no, the no, shots No, 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 no. I said give him props on a backhanded compliment. Okay, uh, I will bite the bullet. He has been a very, very, very good player for the Celtics. You could almost argue he is superstar status now. That's okay, See, because guess what? He still gets eaten up on the defensive end, which if you go to James's Twitter account, he has a <laughs> start, bench, cut, 
between Ben Simmons, Siakam, and Tatum, I tried to make the case that Tatum should get cut. I think he should get cut out of those three because the other two are good on defense, unlike Tatum, who is just average. I'm cutting Siakam. Number three. The number of consecutive 30-point games that Kobe White has had, the NBA record for a rookie reserve, not a rookie in particular, but a rookie coming off the bench. I think it's someone who, a player who's not getting talked about enough. Granted, the Bulls are terrible right now, but Kobe White is stringing off these 30-point games and is continuing to improve game after game on a really subpar team. And I think it's just he, he deserves the shine for that. And he's not getting enough buzz for it. Yeah. Like, nowhere near. I, I found that. I, I watch the NBA consume it nightly. I found out about it this morning after being on Twitter all night, all morning, and, and didn't see it. So... Do better, Bleacher Report. Yep. Number two. The number of players in NBA history with 10 or more 40-point games within one season at 21 years old or younger, LeBron James and now Trey Young. Trey has been, like, I mean. It's out of this world good. Out of this world good. And when they start putting, like, real pieces around him and and their young guys develop, the Hawks have a nice homegrown team that's Mm going to be competitive in the East. So good, good for Atlanta, good for him. Where do you think he ranks on players like 25, 24 or younger? He's got to be top five, right? Oh, easily. I'm I'd say you go like Luka, him, Zion, I put ahead of him. Tatum, Ja. That's probably that's Tatum, probably, Ja, and him. That's probably right, my ranking. That's probably, that's probably where it is. Bring it down to number one. Number of assists that Penn's women's basketball team had in her 80-44 to 44 loss against Princeton. Um, Jake, it doesn't look like things are going too well for your Quakers. Yeah, I, I put this one in here. Uh, last... Last night on Tuesday, Penn played Princeton, the ranked number 25 overall in the country. Um, but Penn's also a very good team and has been competitive with them. And I looked at, like, you know, the ESPN thing. It's quick. You, get, you, you click on points. It shows you who's leading the game in points. Go to rebounds. And then I go to assists, and there was, it, it was with two minutes left in the game. And I go to assists, and there's no one for Penn's side. I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird. Yeah, this thing is busted. Right. Hit I go to box score. Yeah. Whole bunch of zeros in the assist column. They got one assist to close out the game in the final two minutes to give them one on the game. I don't understand how you play a basketball game and don't have an assisted bucket. And they're a team that shares the ball a lot. Like, it doesn't, it didn't make sense to me. And for a while, until that final two-minute stretch, there was only one player for them who had more than one field goal made. Oh, gee. Oh, it was a... Yeah, it wasn't good. It wasn't mm-hmm. good. But they'll, they'll have a chance. They'll be the number two seed most likely in the Ivy League tournament, which they just started actually doing in 2017. Mm-hmm. So... I don't think they can beat Princeton, obviously, but, <laughs> I mean, but they almost they, got doubled. They almost got doubled up by him a few nights ago, according to this. Yeah, so sad times. That's sad times for the Penn Quakers. But we're almost out of time for this episode of Straight Facts. But we can get some shots about the buzzer. Matt, you got anything to say at the buzzer? A week ago on Sunday, I went with my girlfriend to a Liverpool bar to when I was visiting her in D.C. for Valentine's Day weekend, and I gotta say, American sports has, have got to sing songs way more. It is Dude, I so love Chance. I love Redbull. Yeah. I love them. It is so fun. I completely Perfect agree. Perfect sense of camaraderie. You become friends with everyone in the bar in a second. It's the best. I do that Americans every weekend at Americans are cowards that we don't <laughs> sing. We should sing more. All we have is like every, you know, warrior or, you know, you Native American right based team does the the chop, which I've actually learned is very, like, it's offensive. very offensive. Or, or you <laughs> just spell your team's name. Yeah. That's like the extent of it. It's pretty sad.
Maybe we're not. That's all. We're all smart enough. To, that's all we can remember. It's all we're gonna. That's all we're good enough to do. Julie, have anything to say at the buzzer? I do. Uh, I have made the executive decision that if I don't have anything to say at the buzzer, that I am going to leave each week with a positive quote. So this is my quote for the week. I won. I love that. Yeah, it's I, a really I, cool I idea because I'm awesome. So, <laughs> so this is my quote for the week. The pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity. The optimist sees opportunity in every difficulty. Winston Churchill. And I will leave you with that. <laughs> God bless everyone. Jake, how, how are you possibly going to follow that up? Are you going to top me? Right. I'm glad I don't have to go next. No, I'm going to sit here and bitch about the Sixers. <laughs> My guy, Winston. Like, what the hell? Like, no, like, like, can we seriously, like, like, let's really think about this. Because the Sixers went through four years of purposeful losing. Purposeful. For what reason? This team, that maybe not the specific players outside of Simmons and Embiid, but this competitive team. And they have been brought down by everything that is not basketball. You know what's fire about Jake? When he yells, he purposely tries not to raise his voice because we're talking into microphones, but he wants to yell louder when he's angry about something. So I could actually see you screaming at the top of your lungs about this in real life. That's why my fists are clenched. Like, but like, seriously, like, whether it is the NBA forcing the dumb fuck Colangelos on the Sixers, then, then... The GM talks shit about the players on a poorly shrouded burner account that gets found out by fans. Never before happened. And oh, he before he did before he did that, he picked the biggest bust in NBA history with the assets that Hinky lost for. Then once he's gone, they get all of his front office people and keep them in there, and they fuck up the roster to the point where before the guys got hurt this season. It was a poorly constructed roster that probably couldn't win the NBA title. So I, as a fan, feel absolutely gypped by the last three-fourths of a decade of Sixers basketball. End rant. <laughs> now, now, if they somehow turn it around, go into the playoffs as I'm a... I'm going to delete this from the episode <laughs> if that happens. As a 3 I'll go back. As a change. <laughs> why you gotta be Sixers like that? Fans are allowed to talk shit about the Sixers. Right, so. that's what I'm saying. Like, why you gotta sit there and be like all like, pessimist, didn't you hear my quote? Who, who? You, in that interaction, <laughs> you picked me as the no, pessimist? Jay, that was not actually, that was, that was about as optimistic about, of Philly sports that aren't Phillies that James will ever give me. I so. said if they go into the playoffs as a 3 seed, what happens? How am I the pessimist in that situation? Which won't happen, by the way, but... That's pessimism. <laughs> that is exactly what pessimism is. I, I hear ye, hear ye. I do not dislike the Sixers at all. If they play anybody else but the team that I'm rooting for, I root for them. I say pessimist just because your snarky ass was making a face when you said that because you wanted to get her eyes out of us. I, I, I see mean, it. I was trying to not laugh during <laughs> that rant. It was very entertaining. But, you know, I don't, I don't wish any harm doing on the Sixers ever. And you in your heart of hearts know that. Yeah, because this is your next jump. I, I've, 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 I've worked this out. So when Chris Paul retires, <laughs> you will then jump ship to the Sixers. The reasons He's not even going to watch the NBA anymore. The, the reasons are regardless. He's literally not even going to watch the NBA anymore the when Chris Paul retires. I, I will be a Sixers <laughs> fan. This is what I have to say at the buzzer. You can call me Casino James now. Oh, boy. Nobody's going to call you that. Oh, no. I, you can call me Casino J because <laughs> <laughs> you can call me Big Play J. I went to Valley Forge <laughs> Casino Last weekend with my friend and left that bitch up 440. Wow. Did you really? What were you playing? 40, just roulette. My girl Bobby, we went to parks on uh, Saturday and we were there for a little bit. She won like 260 on the slot uh, 
roulette yeah, machine well, thing. I doubled your friend Bob. Yeah, yeah, you did. You did. <laughs> Eric, and I want my high freaking horse. Right no, no, now. you got to be wet. Do not go no, back in there. I'm and going. Give them the, Jake, James, let's go this weekend. I'll go do this weekend, but don't give them all that money back. I don't. You don't chase losses. We hit our lick, and we leap. Speak actually, but that's what I did. I hit my lick and I got out of there. Let me let me actually that that I totally forgot. My old roommate Davis Harari, trying to go pro in Vegas right now playing poker, won one hundred thirty thousand dollars in a tournament uh, this past week. Wow! Which is like life changing money. Yeah. He was puts my four forty into perspective. Yeah, no, I'm sorry, I didn't want to. <laughs> I'm like, what? Like, damn! I didn't want to bring that up. <laughs> That's jump change. <laughs> tournament poker is much different, but it is essentially a sixteen hundred dollar entry um, that he. Gained entry to by winning a two hundred dollar tournament. They'll do that a lot in poker. So he ended up winning. He he ended up coming in second place out of I think six hundred, seven hundred people. Wow, that's an accomplishment. So yeah, good for my man I Davis. Mean, that, that reminded me. I didn't mean to like jump no, you there. That's but. okay. That's okay. I know. I know my feats are aren't gigantic. Yes, he your, did. Fe- your fellow. Uh, <laughs> Uh, gambling pro Davis, you wanted to give him props. Yeah. Gambling pro sees I die. Ex- exactly, exactly, and it's the reason why I play roulette because you know it's it's. Some people don't like it because there's no strategy; it's all chance. I like it because it's it's pretty much chance, and I bet outside, so it's it's a fifty fifty shot. For I'll me take you to the craps tables every single time, too. and I will watch you play, and I and I won't indulge. But that's all the time we have for this episode of Straight Facts. It was a good one. Big ups to Greg Barron, Kyle Sobieski, and Statmat for doing what they do. Behind the camera from my partner, Joel Schmitz. It's been real. It's been fun. It's been real fun. To my main man's Jake Galley. I am James Jackson. And these have been $440 worth of the facts. Straight up.